0: Good morning. If you are a visitor this morning, we um, are so honored uh, to have you. On the Lord's Day, we relish the opportunity to come together and to break bread. Remember the sacrifice that gives us the eternal hope of heaven and also the fortitude, the power, Holy Spirit, to navigate, uh, this world. Just want to take a few moments to remember, uh, the people in London. Um, there was another terror attack this weekend. Uh, where a few persons drove a bus, um, onto the bridge and killed a few people, and I think there was about 30 people injured total as far as, um, after the carnage, we live in a very evil world. And though we have advancements on the surface in terms of infrastructure and in terms of landscaping and housing and modern things, there still is a brokenness inherent to a fallen world. And as we look at the media, we see those things playing out. Uh, This morning I hope to share some things with you that would give you some hope, some perspective on a fallen world, and also a way, a Christian way, a way approved by God to think about the world and to respond to the world. And hence, our topic for this morning, the protest of love. If you have been following the media and news excerpts, for the past few months, you would have seen protests. Recently, we have Venezuela and the unrest with citizens concerning the government. And uh, those images tell a thousand stories of people who are fed up, people who want change, and who are seeking better lives for themselves and for the kids as well. Uh, People use protest in order to make statements, in order to say, this is the way I feel. This is the way that I live. These are my thoughts, and I want to be heard. And something has to be done about certain things because we all live in community, and not one person gets to supersede the other in terms of opportunity, and so on and so forth. So we have countries, we have groups, we have women who protested for rights, you know, in the post-industrialization era where, you know, you would find inequality within, you know, the job markets. Um, And you have the movement called Black Lives Matter where people are protesting, you know, brutality of sorts and oppression. And the church should not exist as a place where frustrations and the inequity in societal relationships cannot be talked about. I think a lot of times people think that the church exists to come and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus, and to pretend that everything is all right. Whereas how we live from Monday to Saturday is not relative to a Sunday church experience. And so... As you look around and as you hear stories in the coffee shops and at your jobs and um, listening to the neighbors speak, you understand that there is inequity among races, among classes, among gender, even among friends and family and husbands and wives. There is a deficiency in relationship where that give and take that is supposed to be complementary is sometimes not there. And instead of approaching it with hate, with confusion, with ignorance, the Bible opens up to call us together as community to say we have to speak. We have to air out our feelings, our ideas. And we have to protest. But it is not a protest that we think. It is not a protest of hate, of um if you inflict pain on me, then my job is to have equilibrium and do the same. It's a protest of love. And that is the protest that we find in First Peter, where the apostle is addressing people that have been scattered. They are in a foreign land. And I can't read that. Can you read that? All right, so if you can't read that, Uh, Please go to 1 Peter chapter 2 and hold verse 9. Just make sure, okay, yeah. So, 1 Peter chapter 2 and hold verse 9. Which is also why you have to have your Bibles, because you might just need it in a sermon. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, from verse 9. So, Peter, who addresses a broken people, a people that have been scattered because they have pledged their lives to Christ, they are being talked about. Well, these people are eating the body of Christ. These people are drinking blood. These people are talking about love, 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 and they have been subjected to libel, People are talking about them in this foreign land, this Roman province, and it's not so much persecution in terms of Christians being killed because Nero has not assumed the throne as yet as far as being a Roman Caesar. But it is that outward display of angst and not being welcome that society has greeted them with to the point that, They feel like they don't matter. They don't exist. And Peter is writing to them. And the first thing he says from verse 9 is this. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once, now get this, verse 10. Once, you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once, you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, why is that so important? We grew up quoting that verse. A chosen generation, a world person. What does that mean? Well, for people who are mostly slaves, and this is not the transatlantic slave trade. This is slavery, not based on race, but On economics and where you are born, who you are born to, lineage. And so, most, a lot of the population of Christians existed. Is that the pointer? The wrong box? The pointer? Alright, cool. Okay, well. Alright, well, so. (laughs) Roman citizenship was not given to serve your slaves. You can read that, right? And so, this is where Christians are existing. They are told that you are not a human being, you are a tool. And being a tool, you cannot reason, and you don't get to sit at the table of of citizenship as the liberty and citizens do. People who have gotten citizenship, or people who have been born free Romans and so they are within those concentric circles and they enjoy everything that citizenship and citizenry has to give. And you get this letter in the mail on the outskirts of having citizenship. And the apostle says you have citizenship. You are a chosen generation of royal priesthood. How do you like those apples? How would they have felt? All of a sudden, the head that is bowed low is turning up. I matter. I count. That's the first wave of encouragement that he gives them. Because without Roman citizenship... They are nothing. You don't have a passport. You don't have an ID card. And people don't recognize you. So when you're in front of people, you don't speak. You bow your head. And it's like you are not there. But with this verse, it tells them, you are not just citizens. You are citizens of a royal nation. And a whole bunch of people within the Liberty and Seals, they are not royalty. So you are above them. So you see the engine turning and the confidence coming back. But he doesn't stop there. He goes further to talk about the idea of honor. Chapter 2, drop down to verse 13. He says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use their freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves or servants. Show proper respect. And this is where I need your attention. Show proper respect to everyone. And respect here is the same word, honor, which you will use in the latter verse. To everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. So you're thinking, well, this is just a regular verse. But it is not a regular verse. Because if you understand anything about Romans in those times, the Caesars were thought to be divine. So Augustus Caesar had his coins minted with this phrase, divus filius, meaning son of a god. Meaning, and this by the way, he was the grand-nephew of Julius Caesar. So basically speaking, if you are the son of a God, then you are also the, yeah, you can talk to me, okay? It's fine, it's okay. You're also divine, right? And this is what they have operating within society. That this man is in charge, this man is divine. And then you get this letter that says, um, yeah, honor everybody, people, fear God, and also honor the emperor. Peter has just said that fear and respect is not for the emperor, but everything that you give to regular, basic man, honor, You give to the emperor honor and not worship and not fearful reverence or respect. Boom! Your mind is blown as someone gets in this letter. Because this guy has just talked against the emperor. And, oh my gosh, he is not divine. I thought he was divine. uh, Yeah, I thought he was divine. He's not. You give him the same thing. Treat him with the same respect that you treat your neighbors and other men. But you fear God. Not the emperor. So he's building on this idea that they matter. That there is a way to deal with being in this locality at such a time as this, living as a slave, and not having to resort to everything that base men do. But it goes on. And this is where, I think, for a lot of people, the waters get muddied. Because for years upon years, people have used this text to say, "Well, oh, slavery is okay. It's in the Bible. The word is in the Bible. But the Bible has never endorsed slavery in any shape or form. So let's see what this verse is about. Chapter 2, chapter to verse 18. It says, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. Oh! Take that out! Oh Lord, just take that out. That should not be there. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And the word for harsh is scoliosis, which is where you get bent or crooked from. They are not right. They are crooked. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing the wrong thing and you enjoy it? But, on the contrary, if you suffer for doing good and you enjoy it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. This is what people don't like to hear. That Christianity is not built upon the hope that you get everything you ever desired as a child, playing with your dollar horses and making a little list to center. Christianity is a way of discipleship that unites us back to where we came from, to God. It is not a well, if I join, then I stand to gain X, Y, and Z. It is you join and you lose everything for the discipleship that Christ teaches. <laughs> But you don't hear that in popular culture. You hear, if they're not meeting your needs, then by golly, go somewhere else and demand that your needs be met. That is not Christianity. He says, I know where you live. I see you. I recognize the hurt and the frustrations and the pain. But I'm telling you, there is a better way. Because through history, when man has been wronged and they pick up the sword, bloodshed does not lead to life. And as Miss Lauren Hill said, hate in your heart will consume you too. So there's got to be a better way. And he tells them about a better way. And it's not them losing themselves or losing their identity or thinking they are less than a human being. It's saying, stand up. Keep your head up. Do what is right. Because the judge judges justly. The judge judges justly. I like that. It says in verse 22 concerning Christ, He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made an Emethras instead. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And the people living within that servile type of existence would have heard Whoa, God is not calling us to do something that he has not done himself already in the flesh. He has left an example which has given Christ victory. And if we follow the example, everything that we don't like, every wrong that has been done to us, will be dealt with by a just judge. And not by an emotional thinking, irrational person. But by a just judge. And he uses a form that they are very familiar with. You see in the old world, you have these lists that they would pass out. Um, <clears throat> it's called household codes. German word is called haustafel. Basically, in the old Greco-Roman world, they have these household codes to explain to people how you operate in terms of de- dealing with each other in business, how a father and a mother and a son, how they operate, and the things that are, you know, Required of them in terms of relationship. And Paul is the first one to use this type of listing to bring forth Christian doctrine. And so, with those popular lists in the Greco Roman world, it talked about mothers and fathers and businessmen and the ethics of it all and how to interact and how to operate, but it never said anything about slaves. It never said anything about slaves. So he uses a list of forms that they are very familiar with that they have omitted slaves from because they don't consider slaves human beings. And he has put them in there and it is in the text which would beg to justify the idea that whoa, I've seen this list before but slaves were never in there. I know they're in there. So we are people. We can Reason? And it's like, yes, that is why I put you in the list. Because you are not just tools, you are citizens of a higher order. Your God rules everything, and He has made you to reason, so you stand to be in the list of the Greeks as well. Boy, I would sit down with a bump and a a, a hop in the step because this is confidence. This is saying, we matter. We matter. And he does that. This comes from Peter. Peter is one who had been a fisherman. And to be a fisherman in those days, you had to be rugged, man. You couldn't be soft. Oh, I can't pull the net. I mean, you had to be so rugged. Peter is someone who was like, before Rome takes everything that we have, I want to spill some blood I am ready. He had that zealot spirit within him. To the point that when they came for Christ, he was like, Matthews, I'm sorry buddy, but your ears is gone. <laughs> that was Peter. The same guy who was quick to pull the sword and say, Let's go! Let's fight! He says, Let's love. Because he knew that he couldn't shoot their way out. But he could love their way through. Because most people think, oh well, love is just a little, a little flimsy thing and it doesn't do anything. We need action. We need, we need, we need to make sure we stand up and we make our voices heard. Love, nobody has time for love, but that's the greatest tool, most formidable tool available to Christians in the process of life and its inequity. And so, after this letter has been written, you have scores upon scores of quotes from church fathers and early thinkers concerning this love ethic and what it did to change society. Justin Matta writes, We ourselves were well conversant with war, murder, and everything evil. But all of us throughout the whole wide earth have traded in our weapons of war. We have exchanged our swords for plowshares our space for farm tools, now we cultivate the fear of God, justice, kindness, faith, and the expectation of the future given to us through the crucified one. The more we are persecuted and martyred, the more do others in ever-increasing numbers become believers. Cyprian says, none of us offers resistance when when he sees or avenges himself for your unjust violence, although our people are numerous and plentiful. It is not lawful for us to hate. And so we please God more when we render not requital for injury, we repay our hatred with kindness. To the point that Constantine was an emperor as well, was a Christian sympathizer. To the point that they gained more freedoms for religion and for worship. You see, love blazed a trail and it changed a lot of things. Though we were shot back to the dark ages with this whole slavery thing because people stopped reading the Bible in the context and they stopped applying the lessons across the board. So, this is Peter's word for people that have been forgotten, that have been told they did not matter, they conquered for nothing. This is the purchase of love, and how does it look for us today? Well, I dare say it looks kind of like the same thing. Love should acknowledge our struggles. Whenever the terrorist attacks happened in France, considering the journalists, those of them who were killed, Facebook allowed you to change your status page, your picture, whatever, to say, I stand with France. Or, Je suis Charlie. I am a journalist. I embody these people who were killed out of hatred. I want to say that I denounce this, I see it, I recognize it, but I want to still go out and enjoy myself with my family, not live in fear. I want to counteract it with love, so to speak. And this is where the church comes in. You see, you you can't tell people, well, Another Black Lives Matter um, excerpt on TV. They should just get over it and keep things moving. You can't, you can't do that. Because if someone, a kid, falls off a bike and there is blood and there is pain, a mother would not go to the kid and say, hey, you just quit your crying and get up. Let me see the hands of the mothers and we would do that. Not one. There's comfort. There is, are you okay? How do you feel? Does it hurt? Any broken bones? And then you go forth. Black lives matters. And whenever we meet people within society that are struggling to have their voices heard to say, hey, some things are going on that are just wrong. We as a church are the first person to say, hey, we see it, we recognize it, and we want to do something about it. We want to protest, but we protest in love. It's the same thing to understand that every single police officer is not a bad person. Or, you know, bequeathing racism. It is the same thing to understand that every white person you meet is not responsible for slavery. You understand that society is a fallen world. And ills are taking place. Racism, classism, even abuse concerning women still take place. And we need to talk about it, not just to, to harp and say, well, this is wrong, this is wrong, but what are we going to do about it? Does the Bible have an answer? Of course the Bible has an answer. The protest of love has always been there, and it will always be there, available for us to unify as a church and as a society. And So you can't legislate love You cannot legislate love, but it's a good place to start. Love accepts, it does not accommodate. And I think in our society, we have given way to much accommodation and less acceptance. You see on the surface, it looks like everyone is unified, and everyone is united. But you have those pockets of conversations and those things that manifest on social media where you understand that this is coming from a deeper place. That all is not well. And as the church, we can talk about it. Just because a black person and a white person drinks in the same space, doesn't mean that they are unified. This is accommodation. Well, you have to drink. So, we'll have a fountain for you and a fountain for us. And though it's about two or three feet apart, that's not acceptance. That's accommodation. So God says, I don't want this. Good job, Martin Luther, king. Good job, Rosa Parks. But it should not stop there. Because on the surface, even if people are within the same room, it does not mean that they love each other. And God says, I don't just want you to have a space on the bus. I want you to love the bus driver, and I want the bus driver to love you too. And the persons on every seat to love each other. And so we think, oh, we've come a long way, which we have. But it is still accommodation. Because what you see on the surface is not really indicative of what is in the heart of a man. Surface change of a system is no change at all. For real change to happen, the heart has to be changed. So you understand that behind every badge and behind every pulpit and behind every what a judge seat? What was it called? A judge stand or whatever? George stand? The, the what? what do the judges sit? Where, what's, what's it called? The bench. The big bench, yeah. If you have people behind those areas of authority that have bad hearts, then guess what happens? You have bad actions. And God says, Hooray for your social change on the outside. But I want to go deeper than that. I want to make sure, that when I get a man, he's so changed... That you don't have to worry about dealing with him. Because he belongs to me. This is not the social gospel. Oh well, you know, Christ came so that, you know, we'd all get along and all have equal rights and then that's the end of the goal. No, 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 sir. Social change is a part of the gospel. Because if people have met the God of love, it should reflect in a society where we live socially changed. But the overall goal is salvation. The overall goal is to be with God forever and ever and ever. And if you only want social change to where you can enter a building and be unbothered and be accepted and given a fair decent salary, if that's what you're in it for, that's the only thing, then you're counting yourself short. Because God wants to give so much more He's like, but forget that stuff that people do every single day on the surface. I want to take it to the heart. Because when I'm in the heart, things happen. Things explode. And this is also for our relationship structures. I'm winding down by the way. Relationship structures should meet the purchase of love. Not just society. Not just family, but also friends. If you're in a relationship... You want to have this idea that there is reciprocity. So if I'm taking the out to eat, you know, I don't have to be the one stuck in the bill every time. This is something that pervades every faucet of our lives. It will change how friendships run. It will change how siblings interact with each other. And when you're at the dinner table, you don't talk about, what, oh, all Mexicans need to just go back to their place or they need to learn English. Or, why can't black people just get off of it? Or, why can't white people stop doing this or that? Those conversations would never come up. Because it is in those conversations that little kids learn segregation and learn to think of certain races in other ways. And so you understand that this thing is an inborn concept. It is learned. It is a social thing. And to curb it, you curb it with love. So when you're at the dinner table, you talk about the love of God and how He accepts people. Don't you think your kid would learn that? I dare say yes. Even in marriage, it is the same way, the very, very same way. Well, I'm the husband. I, I give her a four-bedroom house with three baths. What more does she want? <laughs> but <laughs> maybe you could help clean the house sometime. Maybe you could take care of the kids sometime. Maybe give her a little vacation sometime. You know what I'm saying? Think of your spouse like that. Well, happy wife, happy life, so he better do what I want him to do. So the neighbors know the deficiencies of your man. The neighbors know the content of the last argument. And you think he wants to come home? No. It's for men and for women as well. We want to love in terms of accommodation. What's the least I could do? Or, what's the least I could do so you would shut up? And this is the port calling the kettle black. Because we all struggle at one point in time or the other. And the devil would say, Oh, dude, if you're struggling, then don't say it! Don't say it! And that's how we keep so silent. You see, we. I've bothered so much about our broken lives that like we don't want to say anything good or anything to God's ideal because we feel bad. Because we haven't lived up to it. I'm like, ah, no, not today, brother. I'm speaking as a man that's broken, but as a man that also sees the ideal and wants to strive to it. Until I kick the bucket. And so, things will change if there is real love and not just accommodation. I think Bay Area has been protesting If you go out of this building, there's a thriller. With the words etched on his face, family promise. And shout out to um, Mr. McGinnis for helping us see the light in this. We have kids, we have um, families that spend a week week at our church. And um, we feed them, we interact with them. The other day, I saw Eric Poe from work with his work clothes on. He was outside with Barrett, his kid. And then we found Des, Des, Des Moore, and um, Sydney Moore, and they were playing football with one of the guys who is in the transitional housing. He had our church because for a 12, 13-year-old, that's normal to have friends, to be out, to be to be playing, not to be thinking, oh man, this is so messed up. I have one week at this church, one week at that church. Man, our family economic situation is so bad. But to bring back some normalcy, I looked at that picture and I'm like, man, oof. I think that's what it's about. I really think that's what it's about. So I saw Ed jump here. I saw um, Anthony and his wife and his daughter who were the, I guess, the host parents for the night on um, Friday Spending the time there. And I'm thinking, man, this church is doing some very good things. Even the elders. The elders, if you want to talk to them, you could schedule an appointment and say, hey, this is how I feel. And they will listen. Some of us don't. <laughs> but they will listen. You have a, a, a children's minister that is you know, surrounded with guys like Daryl and Rennell and Travis. And they are saying, Man, we love your kids. We're going to make this place at the back there the best experience for them. And so I always see Angie, go "Zup,, zoop, 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 zoop. Because she's trying to figure out things and put things in place. Because she loves, she genuinely loves your kids. And I'm looking at those things. And I'm in the office with Aloha on a daily. And I hear how people talk to Aloha sometimes. I mean, not church people, I must but other people and stuff. And they are so rude. And I'm like, if it was me, I would have lost my job because I would have probably said something I might not have said, should should have said. But she's so graceful and she does it because she knows as a disciple she has to display love. So it becomes second nature to her. I'm seeing all those things and and then I look at our church in a hole and I'm like, whoa, there's, you didn't smile on that one. I'll have to get to that, man. I'm sorry. I'll have to get to that. But there are black folks. There are white folks. There are Indian folks. There are Asian folks. And somebody told me the other day, Brother Robbie, I've been to a black church. I've been to a white church. But I had never been to a church like this. (laughs) I'm like, dude, what did you expect? This is the church of the Bible. Where all races are welcome because that is not our citizenship and stock. We matter because we are spirits created by the Most High God. So wherever you were born, whatever you look like, does not matter. And we should say that all the time. So when people come in, they know this is not a surface church. Do we have qualms? Do we have quarrels and conflicts? Of course we do. Everybody does. But the beauty is this, we always come back. We always come back. Because we work out of our stuff. We work out our stuff. The other day, I saw one of the youth group kids um, hug their mother and say, I love you. It's like, whoa, really? You do not look like the hugger. But What? I'm not impressed. <laughs> I'm not going to put on blast, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what it's about. Real family have conversations. They say what they feel and what's in their minds. And not this crap about, oh, well, I'm going to tell you what you... Or, I think you want to hear, and then I'll just move along, keep it moving. You can't do that. You cannot do that. So, uh, let me wrap up because I think I'm, uh, my time has expired. But, um, <clears throat> how do we do this? Well, we protest daily, uh, love like it's your last day. If today was your last day, would you be known as an accommodator, a manipulator, a calculator? an instigator. You know, instigators, they stand off and they pull strings for the things that happen. But they're not involved. Calculators, well, for me to act, this has to happen. This has They're very calculated. You know what I'm saying? Accommodators, hey, I'm just here to keep things at peace. No real change. Just keep things at peace. Stay in my lane. I want to be An acceptor. I want to be an acceptor. Because that's what we've learned Christ. You want to protest? Protest with love. And see what happens. Life is too short and too precious for the games that people play. For the games that I play. Life is too short and too precious to speak, but never speak your heart. And to live, but never really live. We have an elder or two that will come up here um, to receive. Anyone who wants to come forward? We want to thank you for being here. Your presence is valuable. Whatever skin color, whatever background you have, we love you. We don't like you first, and we only get to know you, we love you. We love you! And then we'll work out getting to know you afterwards if you want to show people what Christianity is all about I dare say you go ahead and protest protest with love as we stand and as we sing the song of <laughs> invite